0: This morning as we continue with our series, the main thing, it's our most important, I've been sharing this with you for the last couple of weeks, it is in fact our most important message series of the entire year. Uh, today we come to part three, next week the final uh, sort of installment in this, in this series, but I want to take you back for just a few moments as I open up this talk about taking you back to a time, it is situated between the uh, crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. He has gathered some of his followers together. Uh, he has some final words that he's going to make. He is about to ascend. He's about to go back to heaven from which he came. And uh, so what he's going to do as he's on the brink now of exiting planet Earth. Uh, needless to say, these final words that he is going to make to his followers are, are very substantial words. that carry a lot of weight. And this is what, what it is. It's almost like he goes through this um, definitive checklist. It's like he's just, you know, this is a final conversation. It's like if you were with a group of people and you knew that you were never going to be with these, this group again, and there's, there are some things that you wanted them to really clearly hear and to understand, uh, you would really think through what you wanted to say to them. And certainly Jesus does this. This, uh, this definitive checklist is practically complete. complete. Then Jesus saves what I think is the most important for the very end. And he speaks in those final moments before he ascends back to the Father some of the most crucial words that Jesus has ever spoken. And you can look at these words later. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it reads like this Jesus looks at them. Again, he's about to leave. And he says, Here's what's going to happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, listen to the rest of this. And you will be my witnesses. All right? I've been engaged in this ministry. This is, you know, that I've gone from town to town, city to city, synagogue to synagogue, place to place. And I've been spreading the good news. I've been sharing the gospel. But now I'm going back to the Father. And as I go back to the Father, I am now going to entrust this responsibility unto you. And they look and they're like, what? Are you kidding me? And his followers, I think, maybe, you know, in their mind, they're saying, all right, we get it, we get it. And you know, he's been telling us he's going to leave, and we don't really have not wanted it, at least at this point, been willing to hear it. and We don't like it a whole lot now, but we know it's going to happen. And so now Jesus is laying this responsibility upon us and telling us that we've, We've got to reach the world that we're going to be His witnesses, that we're going to be Spirit-empowered, and He's going to help us to do it. And so I think in their minds, all right, I think I understand what He's saying, got it, but then maybe maybe one or two of them speak up, and we just don't have it recorded in the Scriptures. We don't know that happened, and it, if it didn't happen this way, I'm sure they were at least thinking it. And, and I wonder if anybody just sort of got up the nerve and just said something like this, all right, Jesus, we do uh, hear what you've said, and we've got it to the best of our ability, we understand it. But now tell us, what is the rest of the plan? Like if what you just said does not work, what's the backup plan? What do we go to then? Surely you would not entrust such a momentous responsibility to mere human beings like us. So, All right, Jesus, we hear what you're saying, but what is plan B? What is the backup plan? Had they said that, Jesus would have spoken, and he would have said something like this to them. There is no backup plan. There is no backup plan. This that I've just shared with you is plan A, and there is no substitute plan B. You're it. You are it. And if you go empowered by the Spirit, and you go as my witnesses, and if you do what I'm asking you to do, here's what's going to happen. If you fulfill your assignment, people are going to experience grace and forgiveness. Lives are going to be changed. The future population of heaven is going to increase, and these things are going to happen if you carry on the mission. But if on the other hand, If you become apathetic and ambivalent about reaching lost people, if you sidestep your heaven-sent directive, then here's what's going to happen. People are going to miss out on mercy. They're going to be separated from salvation, and there will be a steady stream of people that will wind up in hell. You, You make the call. There is no other plan. There's not a plan B. There is not a backup plan. And then Jesus would have said, you cannot let that happen. You cannot let that happen. I've empowered you, and I've empowered you on purpose so that you would be my witnesses. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out, and I want you to reach one life at a time. And a verse that I shared with you in this series, and when Jesus said, look at the fields, they're white in the harvest. The problem is not with the harvest. The problem is the lack of workers, the lack of evangelists, the lack of people who are winning people to me. Now we hear that, but then I want to bring you to a transition point. All right, I want you to hear that, now this because you you hear that portion, you say, "Man, wow, that's that's pretty strong." But then I want you to think about this. Do you know that when you really think about what I'm about to tell you, that this is so sobering, it is so convicting, and yet it's so true, and that is that Jesus has now taken that mission that I just shared with you from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and now he has taken that and assigned that to us. Jesus, who gave this mission, has now transferred it to us. Now, consider that for just a moment. How does that make you feel? That Jesus currently looks at you, and Jesus looks at me as his followers, and he says, guess what? It's up to you now. As I said to them, I'm now saying to you, you're not going to have to go on your own strength or intellect, although you need to do everything that you can to prepare yourself. You know, you don't just check out. You don't keep an empty mind. You don't just be haphazard. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take everything that you have, and I'm going to empower you by my spirit, and you are going to be my witnesses because that's how heaven's going to get filled, and that's how hell is going to get emptied. And we think about that. We say, wow, that's our responsibility. Oh, yes, it is. That's our responsibility. If you're a follower of Jesus, that mission has now been transferred to you, and it's been transferred to me. And how does that make you feel when you know that Jesus is looking at us and saying, you know what, you've got to do it. You've got to get after it. You've got to have it happen. Now, do you also become, think about this, and I want to just share something with you uh, here. Do you also become sincerely concerned when I share this reality with you? I read it not too long ago. Please listen to it. In this survey that was done, it says trend lines lines show that the average Christ follower is growing increasingly isolated from the exact group that he or she is called to reach. Let me read that again. Trend lines show that the average Christ follower is growing increasingly, not connected, but isolated from the exact group of people that they have been called by God to reach. And maybe you think about that, it maybe you and again, uh, I, I pray that this would be inspirational. I've, I certainly feel the passion to share this talk with you. I, I pray that it will be engaging. I pray that it will be informative. And the reason I say that is because I think maybe for some of you and of course, I don't know how many the issue is, it's not that you don't care. Maybe you really, really do care deeply about this mission that Jesus has entrusted to us. But maybe it's not that you don't care, but maybe it's that you're confused. Maybe you're confused about your responsibility. Maybe somehow along the line, you got your wires crossed and that you felt maybe you were even told, maybe it was suggested to you, that as a follower of Jesus, that now the thing you must be certain to do if you're going to be like a really good follower of Jesus is you're going to have to relationally steer clear of people that are outside of the family of God. Just stay away from those people. They're they're going to mess you up. They're going to lead you astray. They're going to create problems in your life. And maybe you've even had some people misquote to you, you know, a verse that is in the Bible but often misunderstood. Come out from among them and be separate. A lot of people say, well, I know what that means. That means I should never... I should never connect with uh, people that are irreligious, people that are far from God, people that are, uh, you know, just sort of hell bit. I just need to stay away from people like that. So maybe it's not that you don't care. Maybe it's conf- that you're confused about your responsibility. And maybe over time, if you were honest with yourself, maybe over time you've developed a little bit of an attitude toward those that are irreligious and far from God. Maybe a mindset is set in. And you just think about people, and you just say, well, you know what? I don't really like them. I mean, how can I reach them? I don't even like them. I don't like how they talk. I listen to their language. I don't like the way that they talk. I don't like the way that they dress. I don't like their lifestyle. I don't like what they stand for. I don't like. And so over time, if you're not careful, listen, friends, it's so important. Over time, you will subconsciously convince yourself that you don't like, nor should you be around the people that, in fact, Jesus has called you to reach and me. Could it be that verses from the Bible, just like these, have lost meaning and focus in our lives. Look at why. These are some of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. Look at them on the screen. John 3, 16 and 17. It says, for God so loved the world. How many of you know that includes everybody? That includes the people where you work that are so... In terms of their lifestyle, so immoral, so you might would even say disgusting. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Look at this next part. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But how many of you know people? Don't raise your hand. Please, please don't point to anybody. But uh, people who, Christians, Christians who condemn people. But Jesus didn't come to condemn the world what does it say? Jesus came to do what? To save the world. Jesus came to save the world. Look at this next verse. Maybe we've just got it out of focus. Romans 10, 13. I love this verse. For everyone. And again, it's one of those all-inclusive terms. For everybody, the worst sinner that you know, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, what's going to hap- happen to them? They're going to be saved. Look at this next verse, Revelation chapter three and verse 20 says, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, here I am. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And Jesus, here's the cool thing about the way Jesus words. Jesus loves. And you may be thinking about friends that you have or acquaintances that you have, family members that you have that are far from God, that are irreligious in in their own right. And and you're saying, but I love them so much. And, And can I just tell you this? Jesus loves them even more than you do. And you say, yeah, well, I really want them to be saved. Here's some good news. Jesus wants them to be saved even more than you do. In fact, he said, here I am. I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. If anybody hears my voice, opens the door, guess what? I'm coming right in. They're not going to have to ask a second time. I'm knocking, knocking, knocking. And if they'll, they'll just crack open the door, I'll come in. And they'll become a part of my family. They'll become my son or my daughter." Well, this is way too important for us to just casually skip over. And uh, I'm well acquainted with where we're at. And I know that what I want to share with you for the next few moments, we're going to be able to fit it into this time. But I want to present it to you in the form of three questions. And you may want to record these questions somewhere. You may want to put it on your phone, your tablet. You may want to write it down somewhere. Three questions to help us really come to grips with uh, what we've just been talking about. All right, so let me give you question number one. Here it is. You ready? Here's question number one. Are we building relationships with people that are far from God? Are we building relationships with people that are far from God? And I know how some of you are thinking it's just the way a mindset that entered at some point in your life. You're like, you know, Pastor Jeff, are you, are you, are you like kidding me? Are, are you like being serious? really. I never knew as a Christian that it was actually legal to build relationships with people far from God. But it is, and we ought to do it. Are we building relationships with people that are far from God? Now, I think that we all know that the typical non-believer is not connected to a church. There are some exceptions to that, but by and large, uh, generally non-believers do not go to church. As a result, most, if not all, of their relationships are with other people who are somewhat like them and are disconnected from God. So generally speaking, and I can't speak to every isolated situation, but generally speaking, that means that, means that basically uh, they don't know any Christians well. They may know some from a distance relationally. Now, they may work in the same place or go to the school in the same place or live in the same uh, neighborhood, but, but they don't really know them. Furthermore, and I think you know this, but I just want to remind you of it. If people are not a Christian, uh, let me just just say they're not watching Christian TV. They're not. They're not interested in it. You say, well, you know, I bet they're, no, they're, listen, they're not watching it. They're not interested. They're not lis- listening to Christian music or Christian radio. They're not buying Christian CDs or downloading Chris, uh, Christian music. They are not reading Christian books. They are not. They are, they're not. They don't have an interest. Now, Now, one of the things that I think is so important for you and I to keep in mind is basically uh, they are, insulated in every regard from the message of Jesus because they're not going to church. Now, these are people, you you saw it with me, for God so loved the world that God is knocking, Jesus is on the door of people's hearts, ready for them to open, that anybody and everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But if people are not going to church and they're not watching Christian TV and they're not listening to Christian music and they're not reading Christian books, Basically, they are insulated from the message of Jesus. They don't really know about the love of Jesus. In fact, they may have misunderstandings about who Jesus really is. They don't know really about his grace. Maybe nobody's ever told them about his sacrifice. Maybe they don't know that what they've done can be forgiven, that they don't know that Jesus has a purpose for their life. And listen, friends, this is where you and I must enter the picture. It is our privilege, but also our responsibility to do something about this. Jesus said, here's why I'm going to empower you. Not so that you can say that you're empowered, so that you can can go out and that you can be my witnesses. And let me just help you. Nobody here is excluded from that. If you're a Christian, you don't get a pass. You don't say, all right, well, you know, I've just just me, and and I'm not comfortable, or I get nervous, or I, I don't really think I can uh, explain the gospel in a way that would be convincing to somebody, and, you know, I'm off the hook, you know, and it's like for evangelist type, but, I, but I, I get a free pass. You do not, you do not get a free pass. Lee Strobel, who was a former atheist, now Christian author and speaker, has written this Listen carefully to what he says. He says, what the unchurched need is someone to strategically venture into their environment and build a relational bridge through which the gospel gospel can be communicated. You see, friends, based on something that you may have previously heard over your time as a Christian, the people that you work with and the people that you go to school with The people that you live near that are not yet Christians, let me just clarify something. They are not your enemy. They are not. You have one enemy, and it's not people. How many of you know that? It's not people. And so we just hear other people talk from time, misguided uh, Christians from time to time, and we're like, we're not supposed to like these people. And, and, you know, they're like, you know, they're like, because they're so unlike us, they're like uh, our enemies, and they are not your enemy. And they are not your non-relational project. But what they can become is your friend. And they certainly are your mission field. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. So how are we going to do this? What is our real perspective on those who are far from God? I mean, just think about it right now. Just think about it. When you think about people where you work, where you live, um, people in your neighborhood that are not yet followers of Jesus. By the way, can I just insert something here? I hear this. Please, if you're a Christian, never expect non-Christians to act like Christians until they're Christians. All right? Does that make sense? If you're a Christian, don't expect non-Christians to act like Christians until they are Christians. And because they're non-Christians yet, and because maybe we've got some uh, miscalculated information along the line, we just think, well, you know what? People that are far from God, I'm just irritated by them. Now, I'm not saying that, that they don't have irritable habits. I know Christians that irritate me. But don't be irritated with them because they're far from God. Don't judge them if Jesus... Is, doesn't mean that you overlooked. It's not like you pretend. But your job and my job is not to judge and condemn. And do not isolate yourself from them because they're unlike you. Instead, this is what I would challenge you to do. I would challenge you to see them as Jesus sees them and love them the way that Jesus loves them. And do you realize that the worst sinner you know It's just one prayer away from being in the same spiritual family that you're in. Here's the second question. Are we adequately prepared to explain the gospel in a clear, concise way? And some of you are going to have to really, really listen up because this is where you're checking out. This is where you're expecting God to give you a free pass. You're like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm not evangelist. I'm not a church leader. I, I don't even lead a ministry in the church. I don't even serve on a ministry team. And so I'm off the hook. I get a free pass. I'm never going to have to, you know, because I'm not comfortable with it because I've got a shy... Personality, because I'm a little introverted, then then i'm off I'm off the hook. no, none of us are off the hook, but this is where some of us get weighted down. We're like, you know what i, I can't I can't really talk to somebody about Jesus because I'm not prepared to explain the gospel to them in a clear way, in a concise way. So I'm going to help you with that. If we begin with a relationship. All right, which is what we were just talking about. These people are not our enemies. We're not to hate them. We're not to condemn them. We're not to judge them. They're not going to act like a Christian until they're a Christian. All right. So if we begin with a relationship, at some point, we need to look for, our, for an open door to share with them what Christianity is, to be able to present to them what the gospel message is. And some of you, listen, you're just saying, I can't do that. Yes, you can. You can do this. What I'm saying to you is that there is a body of truth in the Bible that all of us have a responsibility. Remember, now this assignment has been transferred to us, and now we all have this responsibility to be so totally familiar with this body of truth in the Bible that when given the opportunity, we could communicate it in a way that would be creative and accurate and convincing. You say, is is that, are you really telling me the truth? I'm really telling you the truth. In fact, this is a verse I shared with you not long ago, but I want you to see it. You're going to see it again real soon, by the way. But 1 Peter 3.15, I want everybody to read it with me. Let's read it together. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared. You say, well, I've never done that before. That's why we're talking about it today. It would be great, by the way, if you would somehow, I hope you will, this week incorporate into your devotions Acts chapter 8. In fact, I'll give you the verses you can read over because I'm just going to hit it briefly. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40 in your devotions. Look at that this week. Uh, it's, it tells us, and I can only hit it briefly, about this Ethiopian official. He's reading his Bible as he travels along in his chariot. He's just reading it and he doesn't understand it. And God sends Philip to this guy and Philip asks him, he comes up, he's running alongside of the chariot and the chariot stops. And he says to this Ethiopian official, he says to him, by the way, he's reading, I believe it was from the prophecy of Isaiah and he's reading it and he's like, I- I'm not getting this. And Philip asks him, do you understand? This is what Philip says. Do you understand what you're reading? The official's response is, how can I, unless somebody explains it to me? You see, there's people in your life and in your sphere of influence that it's not that they're, you know, that they're resistant entirely to the gospel. They've just never had somebody adequately explain the gospel to them. They've never heard a clear presentation of the gospel before. They just don't understand it. Now, I think about that story, and when you reflect on it in your devotion, you've got to ask the question, as I do, why did God send Philip? Why? And I'll tell you why I think. I think God sent Philip because he was probably prepared to be sent. He was ready to give a presentation. He could articulate the truth of the gospel. He could explain Christianity, Isaiah's prophecy in light of who Jesus really was. Philip not only presented the gospel, and you'll see this when you read it, he also leads this official to Jesus and then baptizes him just minutes later right on the spot. And you're saying, all right, but I can never do this. You can do this. You can do this. You can become prepared. You can become confident. You can become passionate concerning a clear explanation of the gospel. And you may be thinking, all right, if I'm willing, then where do I get started? And to just make this so easy for you, all right? I want to make it easy for you because I don't want to hear your excuses later. I would to do it, but I didn't know what to do. I could never remember all that information. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing, all of us, and, and I'm, I'm in there with you, is there any doubt that I love college football? I mean, there's there's no doubt, and I can remember. I can remember what dates Georgia is playing. I've got it laid out, in I know the schedule. I know it's Vanderbilt. Then I know it's Missouri. Then I know they have a bye week. Then I know that we've got to play a, a team up there that a lot of you like. In fact, one of my buddies who is running lights today, and I, I, it's probably coincidental. He's a good friend of mine, and he's running the lights today, and I've noticed a lot of blues that were used in the lights today. I, don't, I, I was just looking to see if he was going to inject any orange, and I was, I was just w- really worried about that. And the very ones of us who say, well, I can never remember uh, that kind of information. Isn't it funny? We can remember stats and schedules and rankings, and we, you know what? It's just like the rest of life. We find ways to do the things we really want to do, and so, I don't want you to have an out, an easy out. So, there's a couple of things that's available. for, for and, and it may be that you've got something else that you're more comfortable with, but I'm all about options. You need to have options. You'll notice in your bulletin, and you can look at this later, it's just one simple way to familiar yourself, familiarize yourself with the gospel message so you can communicate it uh, to somebody. And, and you don't even have to memorize it. You, you could, you know, God doesn't care if you use a cheat sheet if you're talking to somebody. And and that particular one is just one that's been around a long time. It's in, in your bulletin. It's called The Roman's Road. But if you'll go to the church's website, Vitry Lakeland, on the main page there, you're going to see on the main page when you pull up the church's website, it's going to say evangelism. This is important. Write this down. Evangelism resources. And there are four on there. And you can, it's, so, it's set up as a PDF. You can download. You can print every one of them. And you familiarize yourself with one of these four that's going to help you to be able to communicate the gospel. And if it's not one of these four, then by all means find one that is most comfortable with you. But in there, we've got the bridge illustration. That is a powerful way to communicate about how somebody can come into a relationship with Jesus, that Jesus has already bridged the gap. The four spiritual laws, that was Bill Bright, uh, steps to peace with God. I think that was originated by Billy Graham. There's at least four options. And you familiarize yourself with the option or two that you are most comfortable with, and you get it down, and you look over it till you become comfortable. And don't be afraid or reluctant. To share, you build the relationship. You're with me on this? Again, we've got these great lights, so I can see you now. I see how beautiful you are, by the way. All right? So, do you get this? We start with a relationship. All right? We're all wave at me. You're still? All right? We start with a relationship, but then we look for an open door. We look for an open door to be able to communicate a clear message. And then as you uh, co- communicate a clear, concise way. And you don't have to take all day. You, you don't have to take all day to present the gospel. You can be so be familiar with it that you could do it. And then don't be afraid to ask for a commitment. You might would pose it this way. Is there any reason you wouldn't pray with me right now to receive Jesus as your Savior and your leader? Is there any reason Now, if there is a reason, they'll give voice to that, and you'll know, now, what do you have to work? Well, I've got this question about this, all right? Now you know what you're dealing with, but you may be shocked when they say, you know what? Come to think of it, there's not a reason, and I am ready, but you know what? They're never going to have a chance to respond unless they have the presentation of the message. Let me give you one other quick question, and then we're done. Are we in the habit of inviting people to our church services? Now, why is that important? It's important because of this verse that you're going to see right here. Matthew 18, 20. Look at it on the screen. Whenever two or three of you come together in my name, I am there with you. Now, God can use you individually, and he will if you are willing, if you're available. But there's something powerful that happens. And we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, or last week, these approaches, uh, these various evangelistic styles or approaches. One of them is invitational. And there's something powerful that happens when you partner with your church and you, uh, you bring people to church. As I mentioned to you um, last week, you know, if, if, if you invite people and you need to make excuses for me before they get here, I, I'm okay with that. You know, he may bring up uh, a football team just overlook him. He's crazy. He's totally crazy. He thinks it's God's team, but we all know it's not. All right. I know it is, but you, you don't. Okay. That's that's a whole different. Or he's liable to mention Chick-fil-A or is he got to tell a stupid story? Just, just be patient with him. Be patient with him. Or are you, you know, but I'm just saying, I just believe, I still believe And it's not because I'd say this, and I said this long before I was a pastor. There is something powerful about the preached Word that God uses. And I learned a long, long time ago, it's not about Jeff, but this is what I do know, that the Word of God will not return void. You get people here, and they see people worshiping, and they hear a message that's going to challenge them to think. And so I'll just give you three really quick things to jot down in regards to this question. Are we in the habit of inviting people to our church services? Here's something to think about, all right? Focus on a few people rather than many. Focus on a few rather than many. First of all, I hope that all of you are inviting people to church. And if so, what I would encourage you to think about is to slightly adjust your approach. Instead of inviting many people casually or haphazardly or groups of people, what if you focus your specific prayers and your time on a smaller number of people? Maybe that's where we go back to relationship, and we say, you know what? I want to build a relationship. This person, I work with them. I I want to start having lunch with them. I want to get to know them. I want to build a relationship. And maybe instead of just giving a lot of lightweight invitations, you would give more serious invitations. Number two, under this third question, I I think it would be uh, serve you well, and then well, by the way, if you would connect fellowship and community with an invitation to church. One survey showed that within the previous six months, barely one-third of Christians invited an unchurched person to attend church with them. So here's a way, I kid you not, that you could step up the potential yes response. What if you said to them, hey, rather, you know, we have services and fine. I'm, I'm not knocking this. If you say, I want you to come to my church. We have services at 9, 30, and 11. What if you just took it a step beyond that and you said, well, listen, this is the service that I attend. Why don't we get together beforehand? Maybe we'll have coffee together or, or like this service, 9, 30. Uh, maybe we'll have brunch together afterwards or, or lunch or, or, you know, I'll meet you out in the lobby and we're going to sit together. It just helps to step up the potential yes response. Connect fellowship or community with an invitation to church. And one last statement in regards to this. Stress to your family members and friends the importance of their child's spiritual development. I've done this so many times. Listen, friends, I do it unashamedly. I do it without having to give it a second thought. Remind your family members and friends if they have kids that their child is growing up or children in a crazy, messed up world, and they're going to need some sort of moral and spiritual compass to guide them. And if they're not, listen, I've said this, and you can say this, it's legal, it really is. Even if you're not interested in church for you, at least come to church for the sake of your kids so that your kids can hear about Jesus and so, so that they can grow up in this messed up world with some sort of moral And spiritual compass to guide that. I end with a story. Some of you are thinking, I never knew you would get to that. I'm at the end. Which means you can slip your shoes back on. We're about to leave, all right? (laughs) Story about Evelyn Brand. Wonderful lady. Toward the end of her life, and some of you maybe have read about her. Toward the end of her life, everybody called her Granny Brand. She had spent her life in India including 20 years of widowhood, and at the age of 70, she she received word from her home mission office in England that they were not going to give her another five-year term. It's over. It's over, Evelyn. It's over, Granny Brand. You're coming home. They felt that she was simply getting too old. While they did not know about Granny Brand, she was also very stubborn. A party was held to celebrate her time in India, and everyone there cheered her on. Have a good trip back home, they all said, and in the middle of it, she said, I'll tell you a little secret. I'm not going back home. I'm staying in India. Evelyn had a little shack built with some resources she had actually smuggled in. Then what did she do at the age of 70? She bought herself a pony to go around the mountains. And she would ride from village to village on horseback to tell people about Jesus. She did that for five years on her own. One day, at the age of 75 years old, she fell off of this pony and broke her hip. Her son, Paul Brown, an eminent doctor, said to her, Mom, you've had a great run now. God used you. It's time for you to turn it over. You come on back home. She said, I'm not going home. She spent another 18 years traveling from one village to another on horseback. Falls, concussions, sicknesses, and aging could not stop her. Finally, when she hit the age of 93... She could not ride a horseback anymore. So the men in these villages, because they loved Granny Brand so much, put her on a stretcher and carried her from one village to the other so she could tell people about Jesus. She died, but she never retired. She just graduated. Now, I'm not asking you to do what Granny Brand did, but I'm saying if Granny Brand can do what she did, then certainly you can build relationships. Certainly you can familiar yourself with a clear and concise understanding of the gospel so you can present it to somebody. Surely you can ask somebody, is there any reason why you would not want to receive Jesus as the Savior and the leader of your life? There's no reason. I mean, if she would, I mean, what's the trouble inviting people to come to church and to remind them why they need to be here? Would you stand with me for a closing prayer? Thank you, God, for this great day. Thank you for all these wonderful people. And God, we know what you're doing in in these days. We announced it right up front in this series. There comes times in our lives when we get real comfortable and we get real indifferent and we really become a little selfish. we just got to have our bell rung again. We've got to have our cage rattled a little bit. We've got to be reminded what is the main thing. I pray that we'd leave this place today. Lord, committing ourselves to this responsibility that you've given us. When you said you're your own followers, face to face, you say it to us, I empower you. Now go. Go and be my witnesses. Pray that we would embrace this and that we would be your witnesses in this world. In Jesus' God, in your name, amen. Love you, everybody.